Look, I remember in, uh, in my early 20s listening to a preacher um, one day and this preacher said this. They said, what dream have you got for God? What great thing are you going to do for God? And uh, he was asking a question about something which is actually a significant issue for all of us. He, he was tapping into this bit inside of us that, that, that wants to do something worthwhile, that wants to do something that's actually got some meaning to it. Uh, tapping into the idea of purpose. Um, what is my purpose and how do I work out what it is? Another way of putting it, which is a question I think that we often ask ourselves, is what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Uh, and this is one that most of us have probably asked for a Christian, most of us have probably asked this multiple times through our lives. And we ask the question about big things like uh, jobs, careers, big purchasing decisions, life partners and so on. But we also ask this question about the small things, the little decisions every day, right? Uh, a little decision comes up and we go, I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing here. What does God want me to do? And I want to ask you these couple of questions as we lead into the message today. How do you think about what you need to do? What, what is the orienting centre for the way that you think about the decisions you need to make in your life? Uh, back in my 20s, uh, I was at a church and at this church we went through this course called Experiencing God, which was written by Henry Blackaby. And I would encourage you, you'd, you'd do well to grab a copy of uh, Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. It got some really helpful stuff. And and in Blackaby's book, he actually dealt with uh, the section of John that we're going to be in today. And it's been very, very formative personally for me. Now, this is a section, we're in the middle of a section in John where it's a discourse by Jesus on his divinity. But I think it also lets us in, we're just going to take a bit of a drone view today. It actually also lets us in on the way that Jesus works out what he's supposed to be doing. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to open them up, um, open up your app, whatever variety you have, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 18. For those who weren't here last week, we dealt with Jesus' healing of the, um, the invalid at Bethesda. Um, he did it on the Sabbath, naughty boy. And uh, he got criticised for it, he got into trouble and Jesus made the comment at the end last week, I'm always at work and my father's always at work, we're always on the job. So this is following on from that. John 5 starting at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. That's it. We're going to hang out in about two verses mainly today. So let's kick off here. Uh, Let's just think about how it rolls. If you have a look at the verses on the screen there, that's basically what we're doing today, verse 19 to 20. How does it roll between the Father and the Son? How does Jesus know what he's supposed to be doing? Well, it's very clear. 
The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. This insight into the dynamic between the son and the father is huge. I want you to, to slow down and just meditate on it for a bit. This is the way that they roll. You go back to verse 17 of last week, and verse 17 of last week is the Father's always at work. God's always at work, up to things. Jesus is always at work. So what we have in these verses is the answer to these questions. What kind of things does Jesus do? How does Jesus work out what he's going to do? Have the answer to that one. What's the connection between the Father and the Son? Let me add a few uh, explanatory notes for you. Scripture's on the left, explanatory note is on the right. The Son can do nothing of his own accord. You know what Jesus is saying here is he never initiates anything. Never. He's always dependent. Now don't forget here, this is Jesus fully human and fully divine. This is not just Jesus in his natural human state. This is Jesus full stop. Because he goes on in the next section, which we'll look at next week, to talk about things that go beyond his time on this earth. This is the way that things operate between the Father and the Son. Jesus doesn't ever take the initiative. Next one. But only what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus works out what to do by keeping a close eye on his father and doing what his dad does. All right? This is pretty straightforward. You see this heaps of the time in families, right? Uh, This is actually very familiar to our experience. You know, you can say whatever you like as a parent in the family, but what are your kids going to copy? What you do. (laughs) That's what they're going to do. They're going to copy what you do. You know, sometimes we say, and perhaps even as some of the parents here this morning have said this, uh, do as I say, not as I do. And no one ever does it, <laughs> right? They always do as you do. That's how it works. There's a, there's a dynamic here. So how does Jesus know what to do? He watches the Father and he does what he does. That's what he does. And he goes on to reiterate that. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Same kind of deal. He does what the Father does. And then we have this kicker uh, toward the end of Jesus' statement here in 19 and 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. This is how Jesus knows what to do. The Father actually reveals what he's doing to the Son. And that's kind of his invitation to get in. And join the Father in that. This too is really, really common. Right? It's really common. I've got four sons. And uh, one of the things that happens to me sometimes is I'm out the back yard and I'm doing something. Right? And my boys don't always come out and help with stuff and that's fine. All right? But they often do and I appreciate it when they do. But my boys will come out sometimes and they'll stand there and they'll ask me about what I'm doing. What are you doing, Dad? Now, the other day, I, there was a problem with their ride-on mower, so I'm fixing the ride-on mower. 
And one of my sons is hanging around. So you know what I, you know what I did? I told him what I was doing. I revealed what I was doing to him. And what ended up happening? Well, my son ended up helping me with the ride on mower. Do you see that? That's kind of how it works most of the time. It's not that unusual. It works that way all over the place. You know, when you tell someone what you're doing and what you're up to, there's an implicit kind of invitation in there. Why don't you come and join me in that? You know, the father doesn't just tell the son what to do and then the son goes off and do it and does it. You notice that? He doesn't go, well, here's what you need to do. A lot of us think about God that way. We think the father just gives instructions to the son and he's just got to go off and do it. It doesn't work like that. Why? Because God, the father and the son do it together. They do it together. There's not independent persons going around doing stuff. They're all kind of in on it and working together. You know, sometimes we can get stuck thinking about things in an independent way. That God has this will, the Father has this will, and Jesus has got to go and carry it out. But I want you to hear this today, because this is going to get really relevant for us in a minute, is God is really interested in team. Have you ever thought about that? He's interested in team. So if you think about God, and we'll get to this in a minute, but if you think about God as giving instructions that you then have to go and carry out as though you're two kind of independent entities... You've got it wrong. That's not the way that God thinks about stuff. Why is the Father interested in team? Because the Father's interested in communion. He's interested in deep, deep partnership. He's interested, we talk about this a bit here at the project, he's interested in union and communion. He's interested in being really tight with us demonstrates that by the way that he does things in union with the sun now i love flow charts so i'm going to give you a flow chart all right you ready for this this is basically what we've seen here's the first fit jesus and the father are in a loving relationship the father is the initiative taker jesus is dependent jesus watches him the father reveals to jesus what he is up to And then Jesus joins the Father in his work. That's pretty much what's going on here. Now, the big question here, can we, is this, can we apply this kind of framework to us and our relationship with God? Now, theologians talk about uh, the non-communicative attributes of God and the communicative attributes of God. And they're just big words, uh, for this, there are some things about God that, that we can have as well, and there's some things about God that we don't have. So the things that we don't have about God would be omnipresence, being present everywhere. We, we can't have that one. But we can be kind, and we can be gracious, and we can be loving. So there are things that we can, that we can have. Now, if I changed this flowchart so it was about you and I, here's, here's what it would look like. You and God are in a loving relationship. God's the initiative taker. You're dependent. You're meant to keep your eyes on God. God reveals to you what he's up to, and then you join him. Now, 
most of this, I trust you can see, most of this seems like a pretty good fit. I hope that you look at that and you go, yeah, yeah I can see how that could work. Um, but the question is, is this, is this the way that it's meant to work between God and us or is it just the way that it's meant to work between God and Jesus? Well, here's the question I want to ask you. Can you think of anyone else where God works like this in their relationship with them in the scriptures? Can you think of any? Now, I want to say to you probably a thousand times yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, With almost everyone, there's, there's just about all of these principles with almost everyone that God calls into something. I mean, we see this principle in the prophets, Amos 3 verse 7, for the Lord, God's, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. God talks about what he's going to do before he does it. And when he talks about it with people, it's an invitation for them to be part of it. Uh, one of the best examples of this is actually uh, in Exodus 3, at the call of Moses, I'm going to put it up on the screen and we'll have a bit of a read through it. Um, it's probably one of the best examples. Moses has been out in the back blocks of the wilderness goes to this mountain, there's a burning bush, which is not consumed, so he goes in to take a look. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Listen to this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Listen, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Can you see it? You see the pattern here? God is the prime mover. (laughs) He's the one who's doing the work. He's the initiative taker. He has plans and he's going to accomplish these plans. Comes along to Moses, tells Moses what the plans are and then invites Moses into the plans. You know, we could go to countless other stories in Scripture where the same thing happens. And I want to say to you this morning that this is the engine room for working out what God wants you to do with your life. It's the engine room. It's not about thinking about some amazing life that God has for you to fulfill. It isn't even mainly about what you want or what makes sense to you. The centre of working out what you're supposed to be doing is working out what God's doing and being part of that. That's the center of it. This is the hub. It's not the only thing when it comes to working out God's will, but it's kind of the center, the hub from which other things fan out. Some of you might go, well, what about wisdom? Where does that come in? Well, we think wisdom is really important. The world doesn't need any more fools. Who's with me on that? Wisdom is critical to doing life. It's a mark of your progress in becoming truly human. But who knows 
then when it comes to working out what we're supposed to do with our lives, which sometimes, well, maybe even more than sometimes, you can, you can put whatever word in that you need. We can be a little too self-reliant sometimes, right? Let's work out what we want to do today. What we want to do with our lives, what we want to have. I mean, this is the, the warning implicit in the uh, encouragement in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your, art, your, all your heart. Just went bogan there for a minute. And do not lean on your own what? Understanding. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Right of Proverbs knows that our tendency is to lean upon our own. Understanding, understanding. Um, and the problem with, I guess, the, the, the tempering piece when it comes to um, using wisdom to de- determine uh, what God wants you to do, and it needs to be in there. Please do not hear me speaking against wisdom in any way. But there are some times where God calls us his people to do things that don't look very smart. Right? Have you noticed that? He, just, he calls you into stuff and it's like people around you are going, that's, that's probably the dumbest thing that I've ever seen someone do. But it's what God wants you to do. God's plans don't always add up to the untrained eye. You have to be ready for that. The other thing I think we just need to be aware of is the way that our own will can intermingle with our wisdom. That's probably the other thing. Is like we just want a particular thing and we can actually talk ourselves into it. Uh, dependency always looks to what God is doing before its own thoughts. Right? That's what it does. So I trust I've given you enough to show that I, th- I think what goes on between the Father and the Son is what ought to go on between God and us. So let's kick into the uh, prerequisites. How do you find out what you're supposed to be doing? You know, now that we've established this framework for determining what God wants us to do, I want to just have a bit of a, a look at the prereqs to finding God's will this way. What are the kinds of things that we need to have in place to be able to work out what we're supposed to be doing? Well, let's start here. You need to be in relationship with him. Verse 20, the Father loves the Son and he shows him. You know, this, this kind of stuff is, 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 um, is self-revelation. That's what it is. God the Father is revealing things to the Son. It, and it's the normal stuff that happens in the context of a loving relationship. Now, we've talked about this before. And in fact, in uh, Restore Groups, we talk about this sort of stuff pretty frequently. Uh, it's about being, knowing and being known. You know, self-revelation is one of the key ways relationships operate and deepen. If you decide with someone who's your friend that you're never going to open yourself up to them again, that's probably the end of the deepening of your relationship. And what we've got here is we've got a loving relationship between the father and the son and a natural, normal part of this relationship is the father opening himself up for the son to know what he's doing. It's just the way that relationships work. You know, I don't go up to randoms on the street that I've never met before and start talking to them about what I'm up to, what I'm doing. But I'll talk about it to Ange and I'll talk about it to my boys, all right, because I'm in a relationship with them, a loving relationship with them. 
And here's, here's a kicker. If you want to know what God wants you to do and what he's doing that he's wanting to invite you in, if you want the inside word on what the Lord's up to, then you need to honour, respect and love him and be in deep relationship with him. Listen to this from Psalm twenty five fourteen. The Lord confides, in other versions it uses the word friendship, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. What goes on here? Well, when you're a friend of God and you honour and you respect him, he lets you in on the inside story about what's going on. You're not going to get that if you're standing on the outside. Second one, second prereq, be dependent. This is verse 19. The son can do nothing of his own accord. Jesus never initiates anything. Never. This is the model for us. And it's well attested to in scripture. You go along a few more pages in John, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus makes this statement, which many of you would know, apart from me, you can do. Okay. And nothing is? Nothing. Okay. It's not the evolutionist definition of nothing where a point can happen in nothing. Like nothing is nothing. All right. It's, in fact, here's a tip for you. Nothing is always nothing. Even when the evolutionists talk about it. We are dependent on God for breath, life, strength, money, wisdom, dot, 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 everything. Everything comes from God. And seriously, like let's just be honest about it. If it's good enough for Jesus to be totally dependent upon the Father, we can just take that one to the bank. Is anyone with me on that? Yeah, just take that to the bank. We, um, we live in a culture which is all about being self-made. And this is the essence of what it means to be proud. The, the essence of pride is to want to be an independent being of value in your own right. And I just want to say to you, there is a lot of pressure in that. There is a lot of pressure in being an independent, self-made person because you've got to keep making yourself. You've got to keep performing. If you're dependent, you can just not have all the answers. And that's pretty peaceful. The reality is that no one is a self-made person. You can either accept the fact that God has provided everything for you to be who you are or deny it and live off that reality anyway. (laughs) All right? It doesn't change it because you deny it. Like the rains, God's grace falls on the just and the unjust. The reality is we'll say over and over and over again, I'll say to my dying day, you'll only truly thrive when you're fully dependent upon God. Because that's the way that you've been made. Number three, prereq. Keep an eye on God and the kinds of things he does. Verse 19 and 20. The son can only do what he sees a father doing. Verse 20, the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. You have to keep an eye on God and the kinds of things he does. This is really important. There's two parts to this, I think. One part of this is how do we know the kinds of things that God does and then what are the kinds of things that God actually does? So how do you... I just want to deal with the first one uh, first. How, how do you get to know the kinds of things that God does? Well, the answer to that is very simple. The same way that you get to know the kinds of things that other people do. Angie and I have been 
married this year for uh, 21 years and she's just worked out some things about the way that Peter works and she can predict the way, to, the way that Peter's going to operate a lot of the time. How, how has she learnt that? Because she's listened to him and she's watched him for a long time. That's what she's done. You hang out with someone, you watch what they do and you listen to what they say and you work out the kinds of things that they're going to do in the future. So how do you get to know the kinds of things that God does? Well, the same way. You know, um, think about the category of personal, that God's a person. I talked about this in restoration groups just a little while ago. Um, One of the things I want to suggest to you today, which I suggest in restoration groups, is that God's character is more consistent than his actions. Now, don't freak out about that at this point in time, but God just does some things differently and it's not wrong. When I say that his actions can differ, I'm not talking about his being unholy and unrighteous. I just mean sometimes he does things differently. You know, you, you read the Gospels and Jesus doesn't heal blind people the same way every time. Why? Well, then he might have had a reason, but he might have been like my dad, who just drove a different way home every time for no particular reason other than the fact that he wanted to. That, that's the nature of personhood, right? You just do things differently. The, the character and what's sitting in behind it is consistent. The way that it plays out is not always identical. God is not a machine. You know, throughout the, the contract period for uh, the Moffat Street building, we as staff talked about the ways that God had miraculously provided uh, for other churches, especially other churches in town. There's some amazing stories. And the tendency in those moments is to think, okay, well, he's going to do the same thing for us. And I just went, no, I don't even expect it. He won't. He'll do something completely different. That's what he'll do because uh, that's what he does. He is a provider. That's his character. You can guarantee that. But the way that he provides and the way that he does something, uh, he, he often doesn't do the same thing twice. So how... How do you learn to spot the kind of thing that God does? Well, you need to learn his character. And I'll tell you something. Um, I became a Christian when I was 16. So I'm uh, 26. So I've been a Christian for 10 years. Um, and I've learned a lot. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, it's a lot longer than that. It's about 30 years. I've learned a lot about God's character in, um, in 30 years. You know, I just told you something before that I've learned about God's character is that he is a provider, but he won't always do it the same way. So you stay on your toes. So for the last two months, when we were wondering whether we're going to be able to buy Moffat Street, I'm just going, okay, something's coming from left field, because that's what he does. It's not the way that you think about it. How do I know that? Because I've walked with him for a long time, and many of you are the same. You're better at knowing the kinds of things that God does than what you were. Because you've hung out with him, you've watched what he does, you've listened to what he says. And I tell you, there is no better place to learn the kinds of things that God does than going to Scripture. It's critical, all right? It's the most concrete record of what, that we have of who God is and the kinds of things that he does, his character. And I want to say to you, you want to get to know the kind of person he is, the kind of character that he has, so that you can, be a little, you can predict a little bit and identify the kinds of things that God does. You know, we got to the death Monday. 
Monday at 5pm was the time when the Moffat Street building was meant to go unconditional. And it did at 5pm on Monday. But you better believe there was all sorts of stuff going on Monday. And, and people said to me in the days leading up, they said, are you stressed about it? And I go, no, I'm not stressed at all. Because I know that God leaves things till the 11th hour. Why does he do it? Because he values your trust. He values you personally trusting and depending upon him. So what is he going to do? He's going to leave it till right at the end. Because if it came through like two weeks beforehand and everything just went straight, you'd stop trusting it. At least a little bit, probably. Hopefully you wouldn't. I've seen it so many times, I kind of knew it was coming. <laughs> All right? And that's, that's something that you can learn about God's character by walking with him over the long term. Hang out with God, watch what he does, and listen to what he says. All right? That's how you work out the kinds of things that God would likely do. Here's the second half of it. What are some of the things that God actually does? Well, there's some things that only God can do. I want to rip through a few of these. Here's the first one. Anytime anyone moves toward God, you can guarantee, you can just take it to the bank that God's at work in that moment. Romans 3 verse 10 to 11, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Left to ourselves, no human seeks after God. So whenever you see someone moving toward God, Christian or otherwise, it's a sign that God is at work. You can take it to the bank, okay? So if you're talking to someone who doesn't love Jesus and, they st- and it sounds like they're starting to warm toward God, you just want to be praying at that point in time, just saying, God, I can see that you're up to something here. What are you doing? Help me to know how to plug into what you're doing right here. This one, deeper revelation of spiritual truth. Ephesians 1, 16 to 17, Paul prays, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation and the knowledge of him. Deeper revelation, personally knowing God. You can't know God more deeply without him being at work, without him being in on it. Whenever someone is deepening their understanding, their personal knowledge of God, you can guarantee God's at work. Here's another one. Anytime anyone repents for anything, (laughs) all right? You're in a situation, you're in a community group, you're, uh, you're talking to another Christian and they feel some guilt about something and they confess it, that's holy ground at that point. Like, take your shoes off if you want to, all right? Because God's at work in that particular moment because the reality is, left to themselves, none of us would repent. That's what Paul talks about in Second Timothy. He talks about the gift of repentance. It's a straightforward demonstration of God's work. If someone's repenting in front of you, turning from their ways, confessing their wrongdoing, God's probably inviting you into something there. Now, I'm going from the ultra certain to a couple that are less certain. So don't don't get the knee wobbles at this point, but uh, miracles, right? When you prayed about something and you've given it to the Lord and something genuinely miraculous happens, that's a pretty good sign that God's up to something in the moment. Especially 
when there are a bunch of small miraculous things which all run in the same direction. Okay, and this happened at the, the planning of the project. And in fact, it's happened in the last couple of months with um, the purchase of Moffat Street. Just small things just happening and they're all kind of running in the same direction. Now, the only caution I'd give you is don't be too quick to call something a miracle. Okay? Um, sometimes I think as Christians we like to call things miracles that aren't. So we just want to be a little bit uh, careful with that. And the other thing I'd, um, I'd throw in too at this point in time is um, don't neglect the place of risk in discovering what God's up to and what he's doing. Okay, um, there's this great story in First Samuel 14. If you've got dads, if you've got boys, you should read this story, right? So Jonathan and his armor bearer are just hanging out. There's a bunch of um, Philistines and Jonathan and his armor bearer just kind of make this call. They just go, um, let's just have a crack and see if God won't deliver um, the Philistines into our hands. This is 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armour, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So what do they do? They go over. uh, They lay this sign down about how they'll know that it's God's work. They go over. That exact thing happens, and they go in, and they launch this battle. There's an uproar. The rest of the army uh, of Israel kind of attacks, and it's this great victory. But they didn't actually know that God was going to be up to something in that until they actually stuck their neck out. So sometimes when it comes to miracles, you just got to stick your neck out a bit. Um, I always knew with clarity through prayer and talking with elders and other wise people in the church that the Lord would have us sign a contract on Moffat Street. And from the very beginning, I, I said to people, I know that God wants us to sign a contract on it. I just don't know whether he wants us to own it. And you might go, well, that's a weird thing to do. It's like, well, you could just join me in being weird, right? And taking some faith steps and just going, I wonder if the Lord might actually do something in this. And then when he does, you just go, well, actually, he is up to a whole bunch of stuff. Here's the uh, last one. Unusual grace or mercy-filled occurrences. You know, grace and mercy are so undeserved and they're so stark when they land. I have in my head... Uh, that's an interesting file, okay? And I, I, I just see stuff happen sometimes and I go, eh, I don't know what that is, but it's interesting. So I just stick it in that that's an interesting file uh, and I just wait and see if there's anything else that's actually going to line up with it. Um, people have come up sometimes and they've had words on their heart to tell me and I go, hmm, that's interesting. Stick it in that that's an interesting file. You know, you see... Little gracious, merciful things happen just out of the blue. You go, hmm, that's interesting. Just stick it in the file and we'll just wait until the file's big enough to actually form a conclusion. This is all part of keeping an eye on God and the kinds of things that he does. And we looked at, how do you know the kinds of things he does and what are the kind of things that he does? We just finish the things that um, we know that he does. Number four in prerequisites wait for him to show you what he's up to this is huge right psalm 127 talks about anxious toil we are given to anxious toil right we are given to try and make things happen sometimes and some some of us are given to just being lazy and not doing anything 
And I want to say to you, patience is not passivity. There may be risks that you need to take in the midst of waiting for God. But even if there aren't risks for you to take in waiting for God, there are lots of things in Scripture that God wants you to be doing anyway. So you need to stay active doing the things that God's called you to do. You know, some people sit around and they wait for a specific call from God to do something. And it's like, well, just read your Bible. There's lots of calls to do things in the Bible. You can get about doing those things while you're waiting for more specificity on the other things. Um, But if there's something that you're not sure about, which Scripture doesn't speak directly to, then pray, wait, and maybe dip your toe in the water and find out if God's up to something. There's an active seeking in the midst of waiting. Sometimes we can not lean in enough in the midst of waiting and sometimes we can lean in too much and you need to work out what kind of person you are. If you're the kind of person that leans in too much, which is probably me a bit more, I just go, oh, I can see what could happen. Let's just get after that and do that. Then maybe you just need to pull back a bit and wait a bit. If you're the kind of person who sits back and you're just passive, maybe you need to lean in a little bit more. Take some risks. Here's the, um, here's the last one. This is huge, right? Be willing to join him once he has shown you what he's doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. This is the faith test bit. Because God won't always call you into the thing that you want to do. Most of the heroes of the faith didn't want to do what God asked them to do. It's possible even as you sit there today that God's actually asked you to do something and you've just written it off and just gone, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to do it. It mustn't be God's will. Well, Moses argued with God about it, and he wasn't the only one. We, um, unfortunately, if we look at it from a, um, a disappointing angle, we'll get a little bit more positive in a minute. We come from a long line of people who will argue with God about what his will is for our lives. Blackaby says this, he goes, if you're going to follow God, it will likely take a major adjustment in your life, in your thinking, your circumstances, your relationships, your commitments, your actions, your beliefs. Major adjustment. I think uh, Blackaby calls it a crisis of faith. And a lot of us just go, God, would you just make your will clear for me? And then he does and then we go, no, nah, not that one. <laughs> just the other one. You know the other one where I have half a million bucks in my bank because I don't know what to do with it? The other one where I get to do something that doesn't have much risk and I don't have to battle with fear or anxiety because you've called me into something that's bigger than, than what I feel like I can handle. I want you to hear me in this. 
I wrote, I wrote this this week and I believe this to the bottom of my being. I want you to hear me in this. If you want to know God better and you want an amazing life in the truest sense of the word, then you need to step into what God's calling you to. That's what you need to do. You want a lame life? Who wants a lame life? You know, no one. I remember teaching uh, junior high boys, you know, and I had this one class and they, I said, what do you guys want to do when you finish school? And they went, I just want to go on the dole. And I thought, that's aspirational. <laughs> Shooting high, boys, that's a high bar. And no one ever becomes a Christian and goes, I want a lame life, Right? But God's idea of the kind of life that he has for you is often out of sync with your idea. And one of the biggest problems that we actually have is we want the provision before we take the step of faith. Right? That's a big problem. We want the provision before we take the step of faith. And I want to say to you this morning, you don't get the provision before you take the step of faith. You never do. Ever. God never gives the provision before you take the step of faith. So if you're looking at what you can see and are waiting for the provision before you step out, then you're going to be waiting a long time because it's not going to come. And you'll end up giving up and you just go, I'm just going to resign myself to this sucky life that I've got here. Maybe you don't say that. But you, you, you... You default to a life that's just not the one that God wants for you. Parachutes don't open when people are standing in planes. They just don't. You can unzip them and they can fall out of the backpack, but they don't open up. Like it's an amazing sight, isn't it? When you watch someone under a parachute just falling down from the sky, it's a beautiful sight. And you go, what? You don't think this. But in the context of this message, what an amazing provision. For that parachutist, they jumped out of the plane, they f- there was free fall for a while and then the provision of the parachute came and that is glorious. And you know sometimes for us we look at other people who have taken the step of faith and we look at their chute and it's up and we go, that is amazing. What an amazing provision. I want the chute without jumping out of the plane. Now get the chute without jumping out of the plane. Not like that. Now, I'm not advocating foolhardiness. All right? I need to say that. There is wisdom. But looking at all you lovely people, I don't think there's many of you that are in danger of foolhardiness. Let's be honest. You're pretty conservative. I mean... When was the last time I got a call from someone in the church who just said, oh, Peter, there's a, there's a brother and you just need to go and talk to him because he's just doing some radical things for Jesus and I'm a bit concerned that he's overcooking it. <laughs> I haven't had one of those calls for a long time. All right? You're all pretty safe people and you're lovely people. All right? You're nice to hang around. I don't know why, I've got a picture of Braveheart in my head right now. Well, 
I'm pretty much done. This is 2.7 today. So there you go. Uh, might um, invite the worship team up. Here's, here's my third point. Right? My third point along the lines of um, even what we looked at last week, that God's always at work, is, uh, is we need to pray. And there's something in particular that I'd love for you to pray today in line with the scripture that we've looked at, and it's this, very simple. Lord, show me what you're up to. Show me what you're up to. Could you do that today? Because he wants to. This is the, honestly, I reckon... Ever since I did this experience in God course years ago, this is like one of the first things that I pray. When I don't know what to do, I just go, God, I just need to see what you're doing around the place. Can you help me to see it? Help me to see what's going on? It's the hub of working out what he wants you to do. And I'll just encourage you to pray that today. Join together with someone else and pray it. All right? In the details, in the big things, join together with someone else. Because uh, here's the thing, we do not want to be a church that thinks up lots of good ideas that we can do and goes around taking all this initiative. And we have done some of those things over the years if you've been at the projects for a while. We've done things that are good ideas and they haven't necessarily been the thing that God's been doing. And I think sometimes if, you've got to, if you lean into being a bit more active, you're probably going to do that sometimes. So it's not the end of the world. But we do want to be a people that leans into what God's doing, that sees it, and then goes in and becomes part of it. Amen?